0: Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter.
1: Last night, Kim and I were eating dinner at a restaurant, and and somehow we happened to get into a conversation with the person next to us. I think I was eating off of her appetizers. I'm not exactly sure, (laughs) But, uh, but after we sorted that out, uh, you know what do you do? What do you do? And, and back and forth. And um and I mentioned that I was a pastor. And uh, she said, Oh, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said this uh, passage from First Thessalonians because what we do is you know we generally preach through books of the Bible, and that is why we arrive in First Thessalonians four this morning after our holiday interlude. And I-, I don't know if she was particularly impressed or not. But if you're visiting this morning, I just wanted to explain to you why we are in First Thessalonians four on January the 8th and let me ask you a question as we head into 2023 what is your vision for church community life in 2023 do you do you even have a vision for church community life in 2023 we live in a community where we bring intention to so much of our lives we bring intentionality to our work lives to our career lives Uh, We plan our recreation well in advance. I am not here on October 29th, just so you know. I have vacation planned. Um, And uh, you might have intention and vision this year to graduate, uh, to begin your career. Uh, You may be in a relationship, which is moving towards engagement or marriage. We have a lot of intentionality in our lives. I wonder how often we bring intentionality to our church lives. Now, most of us actually do. Uh, It's interesting, you know, as I think about our congregation, uh, I can identify lots of people who are committed to small group, who are committed to worship team, who come out early on a Sunday morning to rehearse, to to make the coffee that we enjoy, to help student ministry uh, move forward. We have a long list of activities uh, that are designed to help us know Jesus better. Uh, to put us in the way of the tools that God says He uses to grow Christians, the ministry of the Word, the ministry of sacrament, the ministry of prayer, uh, that uh, we find new ways to put our faith in action, and we do bring intentionality. But my goal this morning in returning to 1 Thessalonians is to speak to the heart level of your intentionality, uh, to speak to Uh, what you might call the affection level of your commitment for 2023, and particularly to the critical component of brotherly love. Now, Paul has a vision for church life together that is revolutionary in the face of the world. I hope to explain how it was revolutionary in the first century world, and I think that we will agree that properly understood This vision is revolutionary in our world as well. Our culture is so much about the self. It's so much about the autonomy of the self. It's so much about putting ourselves in the middle of the frame of our lives, about the center of our own affections, at times unhealthily, at other times excruciatingly idolatrously, uh, and... Our culture says that the the best life that we can have is the one that we create for ourselves. And I think Paul wants to teach us something different. I think Paul wants us to see that the best life that we can live is the life which puts others into the center of the frame that loves others in this unique way. Now, the countercultural teaching of Paul it is wrapped in words so simple that they sound obvious. And we're going to focus just on verses 9 and 10 this morning. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing all the more, all, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And we read and we think, all right, so church is a community of love. Church is a community of brotherly love. Nothing new, nothing revolutionary there. How are we going to get 30 minutes out of this? You wish it would be 30 minutes. (laughs) That a church community would be a community of brotherly love is actually a radical idea in the first century. I'll explain why. Uh, But for a church, even NPC, to be a community marked by brotherly love is so intensively practical, so intensively relevant in our culture marked by the pain of loneliness, by real and painful challenges in family of origin, real and painful challenges in our post-Christian culture, Uh, where people are coming to faith in Jesus and discovering that their biological families no longer get them, no longer understand them, in some cases no longer want to be around them, that it's incredibly uh, relevant. And thirdly, it makes us uh, at least have the opportunity to be incredibly beautiful in our world. Uh, And I want to think about that with you. There are 8,760 hours in a year. And I want you to leave here thinking that the hours that you spend and that I spend uh, helping this congregation grow in brotherly love are not only essential, but are beautifully spent hours. Paul's exhortation that Jesus' church is uniquely poised in the world as a family for others of self, uh, builds, I think, in three ways. Brotherly love is a revolutionary reality, it's qualitatively unique, and it's joyfully generous. That's what uh, we're to learn from this passage, that brotherly love first is a revolutionary reality. Now, way back before Advent, way back before Christmas and the turn of the year, as we were in the first part of this letter, we saw that Paul's main goal for the church is to pursue healthy spiritual growth while waiting for Jesus' return. And he gives us this goal statement in the middle, in uh, chapter three, where he writes this, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's his goal, healthy spiritual growth. While we wait for the king to come back. Healthy spiritual growth at this moment in time. Because this moment in time is not the last moment in time. That that this moment of time that we live in. Is a moment of time that we live in. Until such time as the king returns. And then we live the rest of eternity with Christians. With the church. With Jesus's people. So healthy, growing Christians are going to increase and abound in love for those within the church and for the world, and that we will be established in holiness. And Paul, as he comes into chapter four, uh, begins to talk about the being established in holiness part. We looked for we looked at a couple of weeks uh, at God's will for Christian sanctification in our sexual relationships. And now he moves to other relationships, to relationships in the congregation. And it's interesting how we do brotherly love uh, is as much a part of our growth in holiness as any other area of holiness. How we do brotherly love is as much a part of living a life of Christian integrity as it is applying the, the Christian sexual ethic that Paul's just talked about in 1 Corinthians 4. In 1 Thessalonians 4. It sounds obvious. And here's here's one reason why it sounds obvious. For 2,000 years, the Christian community has read about brotherly love. And for 2,000 years, the Christian community has better and worse, one step forward, one step back, sometimes not great at all, other times amazingly sacrificial, pursued brotherly love. We, we believe that Christian community is to be marked by brotherly love. That's why we're disappointed when it isn't. But here's the thing. 2,000 years ago, that's not the way that people thought. 2,000 years ago, uh, the word brotherly love, Philadelphia, we got we to say it, Philadelphia, brotherly love, was only used to describe the affection between biological siblings. Uh, That that was how the word is used. I I have one sibling. If I wanted to describe my love for my sibling, my sister, I, I would use the word Philadelphia. If I wanted to describe my affection for you, I would use a different word. And the New Testament writers come along. Paul, for instance, Peter, we'll see the pastor who wrote the book of Hebrews, took over that word that we would use to describe sibling affection And he applied it to Christian love in a congregation. Here's here's the really revolutionary thing. The New Testament writers don't take over the word brotherly love as a metaphor. The point is not love one another like you would love your sibling. The point is love one another with brotherly love because you are siblings. That's the genuinely revolutionary thought. Love each other as siblings because God has brought all of you into the same family. And the, great out, the great outcome of the pinnacle moment of, of God's work to save his people is described by Paul in Galatians for this. But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, at the precisely perfect moment in history. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. And again in Romans 8, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let me say it again. The revolutionary reality is not that church is like a family. The revolutionary reality is that church is a family. Do you see the difference? So this truth would have been exceptionally precious to the Thessalonian Christians because we read in chapter 2, Paul reminds them of their story. You, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And and what he is referring to is the fact that as Jewish people became uh, Jewish Christians, as Gentile people became Gentile Christians, what they were discovering is disruption in their ordinary relationship world. They were discovering... Uh, in cases that their biological family no longer had use for them, as they were now followers of King Jesus, that their work networks no longer had use for them, as they became followers of King Jesus, uh, that they were that they were being put outside of their normal family and clan groups. And it was amazingly good news for them that God placed them not into something that was like a family, but into something that was actually a family. That that God in his redemptive wisdom had replaced with something that they had lost. No wonder when you get to Romans 12, for instance, brotherly love is a mark of genuine Christian faith from Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo each other in showing honor. Go first. Take the lead. Brotherly love in the Christian community means that every believer from every background is equally beloved in the family by the father and by the older brother who died for your sins and called to love each other in the same way, in such a way that we actually end up trying to outdo one another. Can you imagine what a church community would be like if a church community actually Did this? (laughs) I mean, and I'm not saying that we don't ever do this. but, But what would it be like if we tried to outdo each other in honoring each other? What if we tried to outdo each other in lifting up each other? What if we tried to outdo each other in shining the spotlight, not on our gifts and abilities, but on someone else's gifts and abilities? What if we tried to show the, the spotlight not on our own achievements, but on other people's achievements? What would a church community look like uh, if instead of our fake pretend social media world, where we're always turning the camera on ourselves and say, look how great I am. If we turn the camera on to other people and say, look how great my sister in Christ is. Look how great my brother in Christ What would a community like that be like? It would be beautiful. People would be built up. They'd, they'd be encouraged. They'd come and say, well, I mean, that never happens at work. No one at the workplace is, is outdoing themselves to make sure that I get honor. They're outdoing themselves to make sure they take honor away from me. So tell me about this community that you belong to Where people spend energy rushing to give honor to others. To make sure that others are lifted up. To live out this freedom of forgetfulness. Not not worrying who's paying attention. Because you're already loved. You don't have to fabricate the love of the Father. The Father already loves you. You can't be more loved than you are already loved. And if you're secure in his love, you you can give love away. I want to suggest to you that every moment, every second that you spend in your marriage, in your parenting, in your small group, on your ministry team, with your Christian friends, showing honor to the other person out of brotherly love, that 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 is beautiful time well spent. It's also, secondly, qualitatively different. It's interesting. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul who viewed brotherly love as essential to the Christian faith. In Hebrews 13, brotherly love is the first command, the first action that Christians must do to worship God acceptably. Here's how chapter 12 ends. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, if you are in awe of the consuming majesty of God, if you have even an iota of an inkling of the splendor of holiness that belongs to the Trinity, if your soul at at all resonates in gratitude for being brought into a kingdom that will not be shaken, if you are delighted in jesus but what is the first thing that you should do let brotherly love continue the first thing it's not incidental it's not down the list it's the first thing that the church is to do and this this kind of love is qualitatively different from love as the world does love. Verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now, Paul doesn't specify how they were taught, but here are three possible ways that God taught the Thessalonians about brotherly love. These are all ways that God teaches us about brotherly love. First, the Holy Spirit produces love as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Hope does not put us to shame, Paul writes, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of the Thessalonians and produces love in their individual souls emanating out in the relationship in their communities. Secondly, God's love is exemplified at the cross of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You can't begin to understand the basics of the gospel without encountering God's massive love for you. There's there's not a way to understand the gospel message (laughs) And, and, and what happened as the son of God comes into human history, incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, lives a perfect life on your behalf, goes to a horrible death on the cross on your behalf takes a punishment that you and I actually deserve, and then uh, having exhausted God's punishment towards our sin, dies as buried, defeats the grave, and rises to new forever life. You, you can't encounter that message and believe it without resonating your heart. God loves me. He loves me so much. And he loves me at great cost. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as God loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So God's love is secondly exemplified at the cross, and Jesus' command to the church to love is foundational. John's Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus' words, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then a few words later, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Here's the thing. However the Thessalonians learned about brotherly love, the God-taughtness of brotherly love describes a qualitatively different kind of love than the world experiences. The world and... We were part of the world until God saved us out of it. The world does not learn to love this way. John writes, we loved because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And his commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what makes Christian brotherly love qualitatively different? Well, here are just a few. I think you could probably come up with a longer list, but here are just a few reasons. First, it's love that's rooted in imitating God who gives what is most precious to him, his son, to us when we are least deserving to secure the longest lasting glory. That's the kind of love that we're called to imitate, to give what is most precious to what is least deserving to secure the best outcome. It's love that initiates towards a person who has been made spiritually lovely by grace, despite being naturally unlovely due to sin. So we are a family of those Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for me when I was dead in sin. That means that he died for me when I was comprehensively unlovely. When I was comprehensively unlovable. When I was un. Uh, unbelievably lost, God moves towards me. His forgiveness and uniting me to Christ makes me lovely. And that's the only qualification. That's the only qualification for my brotherly love towards others is God's love for me. And it's it's your only qualification to be loved, if that makes sense. Now there's no quid pro quo in brotherly love. There's no, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you if you help me do my thing and uh, you can love me because I'm so great and it's your privilege to love me. And I'm just kidding about that. But, you know, we get into these quid pro quo relationships in life where it's all about, I do something for you and you do something for me. Brotherly love in the church is not at all like that. <laughs> it's, 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 you were unlovable, but God loved you. You were unsavable, but that God saved you. Apart from his redeeming power, you were unredeemable, but God redeemed you. And if he loved you, I love you. He made me lovely. He made you lovely. I love you this way, and you love me that way. Qualitatively different. the world doesn't love like that. The world doesn't even like like that. What, what would a community be like where that kind of unqualified brotherly love was at play? Would you want to be part of that kind of community? It's a rhetorical question. like, you say, I hope you would say yes. Like, I don't know, Dave, it's... I don't know if we're one of those call and response kind of churches and sermons do you think your friends would like to be part of that kind of community? Do you think it would be good news to your friends to be part of that kind of community I, I it didn't make the sermon but I guess now it did make the sermon i i i i read a I read a study uh doctors in San Diego did a study uh in twenty eighteen where 76% of the respondents from ages very young, like under 10 to 101, uh, graded themselves as either moderately or severely lonely. And what was interesting was not in their lives the absence of relationships. What was different was was the quality of the relationships. And what, what made people feel lonely was that the gap between the kinds of relationships that they wanted and the kinds of relationships that they actually had. So they could have a hundred acquaintances and still mark themselves exceptionally lonely. And some of you here are tracking with me right now. And you're thinking, I mean, if we were a different church, you'd say amen. Be, but you might not because you don't want to out yourself. But you might say, that's exactly where I'm at. There's a hundred people at work who I work with and none of them know me and surely none of them love me. But what if there was a community of fraternal love where where the only qualification for being loved was God's love towards you? Your your friends are, are hungry, starving for that. I encourage you, bring them in, bring them in, bring them in. Well, thirdly, brotherly love is joyfully generous. Verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So we can learn uh, what brotherly love is like from what the, Christians are doing with all of the brothers throughout Macedonia. It takes a, a little bit of work, but don't worry, I've done it for you. Um, it's a value-added service. Uh, we, can, we can know that, that they were doing something in Macedonia. What were they up to? Well, as commentators point out, uh, they were probably doing something more uh, than just loving their local church, because they were loving a whole region. So Thessalonia is in Macedonia in the way that Columbus is in central Ohio. So Macedonia is the region. So their, their love for people is extending throughout the region. How are they doing this? Well, it might be by showing hospitality to, to traveling Christians, but that's less likely. Uh, it might be by providing financial generosity to a few traveling Christian teachers like the Apostle Paul But that's less likely because Paul says their love was for all the believers. He said that that everyone is benefiting by what they're doing. So, So what is a third option for what they're doing? Well, we think that it is actually what's described in 2 Corinthians 8. So if you have a Bible, you can flip over there. Maybe the verses will be up on the screen. Thank you. Thank you for putting those verses up on the screen. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which would include the Thessalonian church. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So this is part of Paul collecting money from... Uh, Christians in Greece to go to Christians in Israel who were experiencing famine. And the Greek churches, he'd gone, he'd, he'd raised money, and they'd all said, we're going to give money. And the Corinthian church said, we're going to give money. And the Corinthian church had not written the check yet. And so Paul is reminding them, hey, you're going you're to write the check, right? By the way, here's what the Thessalonian Christians are doing. They're, they're giving out of their poverty, in order to support these churches. And what's really interesting is we probably know why they were impoverished. This is just for free. This is just, uh, if you're taking the AP version of the class, this is on your test. Everyone else can just listen in. We we know why they're facing poverty. It wasn't because their region was poor. The Macedonia region in Greece was full of natural resources. It's a very wealthy region. Uh, the the reason why the Christians in Macedonia were being impoverished is because they were being cut out of the wealth. They were losing their jobs, they were losing their access to the resources, because they probably because they wouldn't engage in the pagan religion that attached themselves to the industries of the day, and so so they were losing their wealth for being Christians at the same time giving generously to famished Christians in Israel. Paul's saying, that's brotherly love. Brotherly love is giving what is most precious to you, your resources, for the good of others who wouldn't otherwise deserve it, but that God loves them. Oh, and by the way, uh, when I teach this to church planters, what I point out is there is a cross-ethnic thing that's happening here as as well. That these are Greek Christians being radically generous to Jewish Christians. And while that might not sound like a big deal to us today, Greek versus Jewish was the big racial-ethnic divide of that day. So so God was moving them uh, in brotherly love across the social barriers, across the social boundaries, uh, at great cost to themselves. It was sacrificial, but it it was also joyful. It was abundant, and it was not exclusionary or discriminatory. In other words, it was how God loved them. Brotherly love in a church is more than a feeling more than I I like a few to some of the people I'm in church with and most of my small group. Brotherly love is active, practical, joyful, abundant. It's the kind of love that compels people to drop everything to watch a church friend's kids when they have a family emergency. It's the kind of love that budgets financial generosity first and not last. It's the kind of love that crosses social or cultural boundaries that can feel threatening Uh, Lines created by wealth differentials, achievement differences, ethnic and race differences. It's love based on a different metric. Jesus loves you. I love you. He gave himself for you. I'll give myself for you. You can't pay Jesus back. Don't worry. You don't have to pay me back. What would be more beautiful? Putting yourself in the center of your life or giving yourself actively away for the good of others? And if our vision to grow as this kind of community is to expand in 2023, the last thing that we'll have to do is to battle the things that subvert brotherly love in the Christian family. Peter clues us in when he talks about brotherly love in the first letter that he writes, 1 Peter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart again and it would seem obvious if I didn't say it but sincere brotherly love is Peter's first application of the gospel it's the first thing he tells the church to do so often we think you know the Christian life and what God calls it is so amazingly complex can't do it Not called to be a missionary, not called to be a pastor, not called to to do anything, can't do it. The first thing he calls people to do is just to love the brothers. That's the first thing. Why? Well, because in in Peter's understanding, our common born-againness is from the same imperishable seed, God's word. After reflecting on the unchanging nature of God's word, Peter describes the outcome of brotherly love. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These are all relational sins. These are all interpersonal. And they're inconsistent with sincere brotherly love. The word sincere, unpretentious. It's what it means it means unpretentious you, you just love because you love there's there's nothing behind it. unpretentious brotherly love put differently the the brotherly love is is revealed as insincere when malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy slander exist in our heart posture towards others. So be careful of the churchgoer who professes deep love for Jesus' church while simultaneously envying, Other Christians' gifts, opportunities, and achievements. Be careful when in our hearts we feel that kind of envy. Keep a short list of that. Remember, we're called to outdo each other in honor. We're called to lift up the other person. You can't lift up the other person if you're being envious of the other person. You can't lift up the other person if you're gossiping about the other person. You can't lift up the other person if you're slandering the other person. So so beware of that. Fight that. Resist that because we're called to something more beautiful. We're called to something more beautiful and, and not only do we need it, the entire world needs it. it's not hyperbolic to suggest that our neighbors are emotionally and relationally starving to death for this kind of love. And maybe you are too. And if you are too, then the first place to start is in your relationship with Jesus. The first place to start is to make sure that you understand his deep love for you. Have you responded in faith to him? And if you've responded in faith to him, have you put yourself in the way of Christian community? Have you put yourself in the way of a small group, in the way of another kind of group, in the way of a ministry team where you can start to be known and you can start to be loved and where you can start to love others because it's reciprocal. You can't just be a taker. You have to be a giver. Christianity is not a consumer religion. You will grow as you give. You will grow as you love. Brotherly love is qualitatively unique. And though for 2,000 years, we've heard about it and we just assume it in a church. It's a radical idea. It's a radical idea. And it can be our vision for 2023 to be these kinds of people outdo one another in showing honor.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.